Welcome to Standout Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness. My name's Ali Hill, and as a psychologist, I love asking people questions. And I thought, what better way to do this than to get the people I admire into a studio to share their stories. This podcast is our corner of the world where all of us can dive deep into what it takes to live a standout life. Today's conversation is one with a difference. When I asked today's guest for her bio, she came back to me and said that everything that she had identified with before has now changed and really that she's just a person who has done a hike. But not just any hike. Kirsten Stollard spent 155 days walking the Pacific Crest Trail from the Mexico border to the Canadian border, covering just a mere 4,270 kilometres of terrain, including 42 days across the desert to the final days walking through snow and freezing conditions. Well, you may ask why, and I did. Kirsten had realised that her life needed to change and as an extrovert, wanted to learn what it was like to be on her own. She left her job, a six-year relationship, and found the PCT calling her. This conversation is extraordinary. I had the chance to follow Kirsten's trail on Instagram while she was walking it, and I wanted to sit down and unpack with her the paradox of completing a pilgrimage like this. We talked about the little details like what you eat to the big details, the lessons that you learn along the way, including the challenge of asking and receiving help. So if you've ever had the yearning to put quiet to the noise, to don a backpack and step away from life, then this conversation is an adventure worth hearing. Join us in stepping into the lessons from the trail with Kirsten Stollard. Kirsten, welcome to the studio. Thank you so much for having me. There is, there's a ton that I want to talk about with your story, but what hit me was yesterday you sent me back an email. We were talking a little bit about the the podcast coming up and some of the topics that we might talk about. And I asked you a fairly standard question that I ask most guests for a bio, but your response was beautiful and perfect and I think a really lovely opening to your story because you came back and you said, the things that I were, was before, I, it's really hard to identify with those. So I'm just a girl who's done a hike. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like to sit down and write that? Um, it was difficult. I, As I said to you, I didn't really know. It kind of made me stop and think like, who am I now? Um, I think in the past when I've had to sort of identify myself, it's always been in respect to my work, um, in marketing and various other things that I've undertaken. And now I'm just kind of, I'm not working in marketing right now. Um, I'm facing a brand new leaf in life, I guess. And yeah, it was just weird. I'm, I'm just feel like an average person that just finished doing something that most people say is probably not that average. So yeah, it's been, yeah, it was strange. <laughs> it's probably strange to think about the identity or the labels that we we give to identity and that, yeah. that actually underneath it, and you even said just before that we're just human. Yeah. And it comes back to that. Was yeah, that absolutely. a bit of a revelation for you? Yeah, a little bit. I just kind of, I keep saying to everyone, like, I'm just regular. I'm just average. Like it's, yeah, I don't know, people, um, you get a lot of mixed responses 
since I've been back, sort of people who are just like totally amazed at what you're doing and that kind of thing. And you're like, I guess it was amazing, but it's also, I'm just a normal person. I just, I feel very average still. I'm like, yeah, I did a really cool thing, but so have lots of people. And yeah, it's sort of, um, yeah, it made me sort of reconsider. Yeah, definitely yesterday made me reconsider how I identify myself and, and the sort of labels that I used to use that don't really seem to matter anymore. Yeah. So the thing that you have done is that you've walked the the PCT, which is the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. Yes. We were talking a little bit about numbers before. So it's 4,270 kilometres or in miles, 2,652 miles. Yes. Which you did for 155 days. And I had the great fortune of being able to watch some of that on Instagram and was just completely inspired in awe. There was a part of me that just wanted to get a backpack and just find a trail somewhere. But I want to take you back before the decision to go and do that. What led up to you, I guess, starting the PCT? Yeah, that's something that um, I've been getting asked a lot. A lot of people are like, why? Why do you want to do that? Um, I was just at a sort of a strange point in my life. I had... um, woken up one day and realised that I needed a lot of change in my life. Um, I had been freelancing for the last three years and had realised that I just was a bit sick and tired of that. I I love to talk and I love to be around people. So sitting at home working on my own is like a luxury that I'm so grateful that I've been able to have and sustain for myself. But also I was just like, I need to get out. I need to see some people. I need to see some things. Um, I chose to walk away from a beautiful six-year relationship with a really wonderful man. Um, But just, yeah, recognise that probably I hadn't as an adult woman Um, really put much effort into doing things for myself. And I also realised once I ended that relationship that um, I was pretty terrible at being alone. And I was like, I'm never going to learn that if I just keep sitting around the Gold Coast and doing what I'm doing right now. Um, So I thought, what better way to learn how to be alone than to put myself in the middle of the wild and um, yeah, go walking for five months. So, um, that's basically the lead up to it. I had heard about the trail before, and then I knew some friends that were planning on doing it this year. And I just thought one day I could do that. And then all of a sudden, I didn't even really get a chance to comprehend. I found myself planning it before I'd even decided whether or not I was actually going to do it. It's like it just, the momentum, I couldn't stop it. I was just like, all of a sudden I had a permit and a backpack and was buying things that I needed to take out there. And yeah, it just started all coming together. And yeah, all of a sudden I was walking everywhere with a backpack on filled with lentils and chickpeas and tins and stuff like that, just to weigh it down. And yeah, that's how it all began, really. Yeah. Fascinating. When you talk about, I guess, waking up on a particular day, had you seen, and and that, even that revelation of, I'm not very good being on my own, mm. um, what, what did you notice? Where did that come from? I have no idea. It, it truly was just waking up one day and being like, I just have so much that I need to work on really. And, um, I think I'm lucky that I realized that because I think a lot of people, 
probably don't get the the headspace to do that to have those sort of thoughts and revelations and um or if they do they don't necessarily act upon it and I just sort of realized that it's just way too important to me to to sort of explore those things I think as someone that identifies as being quite extroverted it's hard to sort of be like, okay, obviously I'm always going to prefer being around other people and, and sort of drawing, you know, energy and that kind of thing from being in group situations. But I just was like, it's okay to prefer that, but I need to work on the other side of that, which is being comfortable on my own and and um, seeing what I can do on my own and putting myself first. I just wanted to do something that was totally selfish. And I think that the word selfish is often kind of viewed with sort of a negative light, but I think that I sort of came to a point where I was like, no one's going to look after me the way that I can look after myself. And the only way to sort of honour that is to really explore some time alone and, and see what I can get out there and do. How did that conversation go with your family? Um, it happened the day that the idea came into my head. Um, I went to a family birthday party and I sat down next to my mum and I was like, mum, I think next year I have to go and walk from Mexico to Canada. She was like, okay, have a great time. And kind of was just like, uh, I don't think that she fully believed that it was something maybe that I was serious about. You might get a cat between a few spots. Yeah, fully. And I mentioned it to a few people that night and was like, yeah, I think it'd be really great. And I think it just, it was a little bit confusing for them at first, but then when I actually started to plan it and started to do things like apply for permits and book flights and get all the gear together, it was like, oh shit, she's actually going to go and do this. Um, And flash forward to when I was done, my mum was like, I have been holding my breath for five months (laughs) and it feels nice to actually get a chance to exhale. So I feel bad that I put them through a lot of stress. But then I think as well, especially since I've been home and having some really deep, interesting conversations with my family members that I'm quite close to, um, they can see how much I got out of it and, and see that it was really worthwhile and probably all of the stress and the times when they were like, oh, God, is she going to make it out alive? Um, yeah, they they can see that it was worth it. But, yeah, it was it was funny in the beginning. They just were like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we believe it until mm. the other end. And I guess in some ways they, they sort of uh, rode their own adventure and their own experience. Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, and adventure in every sense of the word in particular towards the end. Oh, my goodness. I just feel – I actually feel so bad for – my mum and my dad and my sister who every day were getting a message at the end of the day from me off my GPS device saying, I'm okay, I've made it to camp, I love you, good night. Um, That stopped working and I didn't know. And so they knew that I was in essentially one of the most difficult parts of the trail and they couldn't see my little blip moving on the map anymore and they weren't getting a message at the end of the day saying that I was okay and I think about five days went past and then I finally got into a town and went on Facebook and saw that my mum had been contacting lots of hikers being like, has anyone seen my daughter? I'm quietly freaking out and yeah, I need help. (laughs) And breathe. Yeah. (laughs) The exhale (laughs) comes Mm. into, into play. We were talking just off mic before that uh, when I was thinking about what you've done 
and even where you are now, there's a lot of paradoxes around and even the reason behind it is kind of identify someone being very extroverted, so I'll go and spend five months on my own. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the And the paradox of, of what that is like to actually turn towards a pilgrimage in some way so of, of actually going, this is where I might want to follow and, and I don't know what's going to happen here and I'll, I'll see where that goes. But it's also, I'm really interested in talking about some of the big stuff around life, but also some of the, the small, really practical things. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare practically for a five-month, 155-day hike where you're essentially <laughs> doing a marathon a day. Yeah. How do you prepare? What did you do? Um, very little. <laughs> and the biggest thing that I realised is that there is actually no way to prepare for a five-month hike other than by doing a five-month hike. Um, you can't prepare your body for what you're going to put it through. So, I mean, you can try. You can get yourself to a fitness level that you're happy with. Like I definitely was walking everywhere um, and trying to just really get used to doing like longer day. But I mean, even when I think about like, oh yeah, I was walking everywhere. It's like, well, I might have like walked 13 kilometres with a coffee in between that to go and like catch up with a friend, but it's nothing that compares to the sort of days that you do out there. Um yeah, I mean, physically, that's about it. You can try and get yourself to a really good fitness point, but in terms of, um, yeah, there's nothing that replicates that kind of experience physically. So you don't want to be, like, you just want to be sort of ready to go uh, in the in the best sense that you can with your body and mentally as well. I think you can't prepare for what you're going to deal with out there. Um, it's so funny to think back before I started about what I was trying to prepare myself for and what I thought were going to be the big challenges. And I went out there thinking like, yes, I'm going to go and do this big walk and it's all about the walking and I'm going to be living outside and I'm going to be camping outside every night and cooking my dinner outside and doing all of this stuff. And about halfway through, I just was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I thought that this journey was about walking. I'm like, I already can't even remember walking yesterday. I'm like, it's so much about like the experiences that you have along the way. And so it's, yeah, it's funny to think back about the things I was trying to prepare for when it's like, there's no point. You just got to get out there. Like getting out there is the hardest thing and actually starting. And then, yeah, getting yourself out of bed every day is the other hard part. And then everything in between is just experiences and and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, preparation's a weird topic. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, there's so many things that... It, it doesn't have to be a hike or a trail, but there's so many things that we just dive into, right? And you can only you can only do it by experiencing it. You can only be a part of that by 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 actually doing it and knowing what it's like at the halfway point. You can't prepare. You can't get ready for it. Day one, you are ready to go. You've got your backpack. <laughs> what what is actually in your backpack? Uh. And I had all the gear and no idea. Um, <laughs> what was in my backpack? Okay, so I was carrying um, a tent, which is totally necessary, but I spent 
probably 80% of the trip not actually sleeping in it because I realised how nice it is to just sleep under the stars. Also, I got super lazy, so setting up a tent at the end of every day was just, like, not a thing that I had any interest in doing, but still essential. Um, I had a ultralight inflatable air mattress. I had a sleeping bag that could go down to, I think, negative 7 degrees but is still quite lightweight. Um, I was carrying on day one seven and a half litres of water to get me through the first 20 miles of the desert. I was carrying what I thought was seven days worth of food, but turned out to be more like 12 because you think you're going to be really hungry, but you just totally aren't. And it's just way too hot to even want to really be eating. Um, what else was I carrying? A first aid kit, um, some, I only had one set of clothes. I was wearing a shirt and a pair of shorts and I had a spare pair of socks in my bag, a down jacket, some rain gear. And that's almost about it. My little cooking stove and yeah. And what was going through your mind? before you set foot on the trail? Oh, my God. Uh, (laughs) It's so weird to think about that day. I was thinking about the other end, I think. I was thinking about the Canadian border. I was like, hell, yeah, day one, here we go. Oh, my gosh, going to get there. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, The end of day one, I remember, like, climbing into my tent that night and I was on the verge of tears and I just was like... Oh, God. I was like, what have I gotten myself into? I was like, I love adventure. I love being outdoors. I love camping. I love hiking. But is this really what I want to do? I just was, I think by about mile 11, I'd taken a break and I was um, with some guys and we had to build ourselves some shade because there just wasn't anything. It was probably close to 40 degrees. I... I was carrying all this water and I was too afraid to drink it because I was worried about running out. So I believe that I already had dehydration and heat stroke setting in. Um, Yeah, by the time I got to the end of the day, I'd hiked 20 miles and just was totally wrecked. I was like, what the hell have I got myself into? Yeah. It was so exciting, like stepping out from, you know, getting to the southern terminus and and actually like taking your first steps on the trail. I was like so gung-ho, just like, oh, my God, I'm so ready for this. This is so exciting. Like day one, woo, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, that, yeah, reality kicked in really quickly. The desert teaches you a lot of things and, yeah, it's that you're not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So how do you get up day two? Um. Well, I was like, basically, it's too embarrassing to quit <laughs> here um, and also really inconvenient spot. I'm like, I'm 20 miles from the last road. I'm like, it'd be more sensible to work, walk forward than backwards. Um, so, yeah, got out of bed and I, I actually had like that the night before, I'd kind of said to myself, okay, you've got seven days worth of food in your bag and you mailed yourself five days worth of food to the the first town that you're going to get to. I was like, so that's 12 days worth of food that you've planned for. You at least have to hike 12 days so that you don't put all of that to waste. I was like, okay, when when we've run out of food, let's reevaluate and see if this is still something that you want to do. And I was like, because 12 days of hiking is still like so bloody impressive. Like if someone had said to me at home, like a year ago or something, I went on a 12 day hike, I'd be like, what? You hiked for 12 days. That is so amazing. So in my head, I was kind of like, whatever you achieve out here is fine. Um, 
by the end of the first week, I was like, I'm getting to Canada. Like I had just what totally. What changed. Yeah. And then I think like they say generally, like it takes 21 days to form a habit and I can like say definitely by like the end of the third week out there, I'd found my legs and I just was like, I'm getting there. The only thing that's going to stop me is injury or extreme weather circumstances that mean that I have to get off trail. But I was like, by that point, I already knew. I was like, I'm not giving up. Like I've pushed through what's probably going to be like the hardest few days, those first few days in the beginning. And yeah, if I can do that, I can I can probably get myself the whole way. I love that concept of almost setting yourself a contract. It's like, right, we yeah, can totally. do 12. We'll yeah, do yeah, that. Exactly. We'll just run at that. Yeah. What <clears throat> changed after that first week for you to go, no, I'm going to Canada? Um, honestly, just getting used to it. You So quickly your mental fortitude starts to develop and I think you just realise you kind of have this, I kind of, I talk a lot with people about having this like bar of this like level of what you think that you can tolerate. And so I think day one I was just like, holy moly, like this is, that's, that's the probably getting close to what I can tolerate. Like I was not feeling great. I was like, even down to like, you know, you kind of have a bit of, you know, through research and that kind of thing and preparing for it before you actually set out, you know, that in desert conditions, you need to be intaking a certain amount of water and you need to be making sure that you're peeing a certain amount of times every day and looking at the color of your pee and that kind of thing. And I was like, I could tell at the end of the first day, I was like, I already know that I'm not well. I'm like, I haven't peed enough today and it is not a good color. (laughs) And so, yeah, you just kind of, I, yeah, end of day one, I was like, okay, this is like pretty close to what I would call like one of the worst days, like, well, gross, not having fun out here yet. And, uh, but that bar kind of keeps getting pushed up. You kind of wake up the next morning and you're like, Hey, I made it through one of the worst days and one of the hardest days. And and I pushed through. And so like, okay, well, I'll keep going and see what else I can do. And you just constantly, as time goes on, you just get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. And you, in terms of actually like physically hiking, you just start to learn more about your body and what you can achieve and where to push and what to do and that kind of thing. Like day two, I had gnarly blisters and the shoes that I were in were already too small. On day three, I had to buy new shoes. Um, And so, yeah, I think by the end of that first week, I'd already been through so much in terms of like mentally, physically challenged. I was just like, I've got the blisters. I've rolled my ankle. I've done a 30 mile stretch of no water. I've done some night hiking. I've slept during the day. I've seen rattlesnakes and swarms of bees and done days where there's just zero shade. And I was like, okay, I think that like I've been through some stuff already. And yeah. And also you just kind of start to get excited. You're like, every day is different out there. And, and you kind of, you go through these really hard days and you're just like, Oh God, like, is it going to be like this forever? But you kind of excited to see what's next. So I think that curiosity was a big driver for me as well. I was every day I'd wake up and I'd be like, I wonder what I'm going to see today. And just, yeah. wonder who I'm going to meet. I wonder what's going to happen. You just have the most unexpected experiences all the time out there and it's just like, what's going to happen? Yeah. You can't plan for that. That's yeah, life fully. just showing up, isn't it? Mm. Can you describe a bit of the terrain? Because you're going from Mexico to Canada, so you are going through, as you say, desert. Yeah. <clears throat> you're 
you've got a sleeping bag that will get you down to minus seven degrees (laughs) kind of temperatures. So how did the terrain change? Uh, It changes a lot. So in the beginning, the trail is sort of divided up into five sections, so they say. Um, You've got the Southern California Desert, then you've got the Sierra Mountains, Northern California, Oregon and Washington. So that's sort of the five sections and um, they really sort of dictate how what to expect terrain-wise. Um, so the desert, you, uh, you spend a lot of the time in the high desert, so you're in sort of a lot of like exposed um, mountainous desert in Southern California. You go through the Mojave Desert. Um, yeah, just a lot of dirt rocks, not a lot of shade. Um, Towards the end, you start to go through some Joshua trees and that kind of thing. Um, Lots of exposed ridgelines on top of mountains, um, which is just incredible. But with that comes a lot of wind. And at nighttime, the temperature really does drop. Some of the coldest nights that I remember um, were in the desert, which was, it's almost a nice relief because you have these super, super hot days, but then at nighttime you know that it's going to really cool down and you're going to have a bit of, you know, comfort for a, for a change. Oh, comfort. Okay, no, that's a lie. There's no <laughs> scrap the word comfort. <laughs> it's never it's comfortable. It's going to be slightly cooler. Yeah, but, um, yeah, and then so you get to the end of the desert and uh, – the end, of the, the end of the desert's a funny sort of experience because, like, it's really just, like, pushes you right till the end. I think the second last day you've got 40 miles of no reliable water source. So to put that into perspective, it's roughly two days' worth of hiking um, where you need to have loaded up on water and really be monitoring how much you're intaking and making sure that you can push through. Um, and then the end of the desert you get to this gorgeous flowing river and it made me cry. I just, it was the most water that I had seen in such a long time. And I just was like, oh my God, like, thank God. And I am out of the desert and I am ready for water and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's sort of funny. You finish the desert and you feel really gung-ho. You're like, I, well, for me, it took 42 days to get through the desert. And I was like, hell yeah, I've just hiked for 42 days through the desert. Come at me, Life, anything, anything yeah. literally, and uh, and then you start to go up into the Sierra Mountains, and all of a sudden you're spending every single day above ten thousand feet, pretty much, and uh, and you're like, whoa, actually, I don't know anything about life, and it gets really hard again. So yeah, that's um, yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. I started to do some really slow, shorter days in the Sierras um, because the mountains just kick your ass. Um, yeah, it just gets a lot higher up. I struggled with the altitude definitely in the beginning. I had some really awful days where I just did not feel well. Breathing just is hard and you just slow down a lot, um, which is something that you have to deal with mentally as well because you, I, I got really hard on myself. I was like, why am I only hiking 12 miles a day? Like, this is not okay. Um, but also I think at the same time you're like, this is so incredibly beautiful. It It's worthwhile just enjoying it and taking it slow. So, yeah, the Sierra is everything that you expect it to be. You've just got mountains all around you, lakes, water everywhere, which is just such a blessing. You just are like, oh my God, I only have to carry one water bottle. This is amazing. Um, it feels totally unreal. It it just, 
I was video journaling a lot through the Sierras because I discovered that that was much more fun than writing down things at the end of the day. And I just have so many videos of me panning around the landscape around me and just being like, I call fake. I don't think this is real. I don't think that anything in life can be this beautiful. And I just, nope, sorry. Don't know what's going on here. Um, Yeah, and then after you get out of the Sierra Mountains, you're in Northern California, which is a bit of a depressing time for a lot of people, to be honest. Um, And then, yeah, that in itself creates a whole lot of problems because you're like, why am I depressed? I should be so grateful to be out here. But it's hard. You come out of the most incredibly beautiful place in the mountains and you start just going through, it's almost like the desert again. It gets really hot. It's hot at nighttime as well. Um, The desert had rattlesnakes. The Sierras had bears. Northern California has bears and rattlesnakes. There's just stuff trying to kill you everywhere. Right. (laughs) Going, Um, I just want to walk. (laughs) Yeah. And for me as well, um, and I think for a, a lot of hikers every year on the PCT, Northern California is smoky. There was a lot of fires. And so um, you just get beat down. I think you start to pick up your pace again because you realise that you need to push on and get to Canada. You've just been dawdling through the mountains for a few weeks and, and it's time to really kick it up again. So, yeah, Northern California, I wish that I could say nicer things about it, but for me it was... Um, a bit miserable sometimes. And I was struggling with like trying to push myself harder, pick up my miles and also um, trying to just tell myself like, stop being miserable, be grateful that like, you're out here, you should be trying to enjoy it. But when you wake up in the morning covered in ash from from a fire and you're just like, what is this doing to my lungs? It's a bit difficult. Um, I can imagine that. And when you talk about um, your mood and, and mental state, it's so affected by your environment. Oh, totally. The connection between the two is really strong. Yeah, absolutely. And and as well, like when you cross over the border from California into Oregon, that is such a huge, it's like new state, new energy kind of thing. It's like, it changes. It looks different from like, you literally walk past a tree that says California slash Oregon on it. And you just are in this like lush, dense woods and it gets more green and it gets really beautiful and and you're just like wow like it totally for me it it kicked up a new new life almost I was just like hell yeah I made it out of California because you you go past the halfway point of the trail in California and you're like okay I've walked half of this trail and I'm still in fucking California like get me out of here mm. like I'm yeah, ready for something and new dust and hate yeah, yeah so definitely like the the landscape can totally affect to you mentally just yeah monotony is is a hard thing to deal with when you're just doing 25 to 35 miles a day and it looks the same every single day you're just like what the hell am I doing like why am I doing this yeah I started to get really like well yeah get in a bit of a funk but you get out of it (laughs) eventually (laughs) how did yeah were there things that helped you get out of that um yeah I think (sighs) I crossed over, sorry, I crossed over from California into Oregon and I broke my phone and I hiked the rest of the trail without a phone. And I think that, um, 
Yeah, I think it sort of came at a weird time because I had just been through the section that really challenged me mentally. I was in Northern California, you know, for a few weeks just feeling kind of glum. I was hiking with people that were also feeling kind of down and I think you're your mood as a group can be really infectious. And um, yeah, I, I crossed over that border and I switched up the people that I was spending time with. And I think just having... This, the, the great thing about hiking alone is that you totally are, are at your own free will. Like if you're not feeling it anymore, it's like, okay, stop, spend a day in town, reassess, find some new faces to hang out with, keep pushing on. Like you just need to do what you need to do. But um, switching off from my phone made me switch onto the trail a lot more. Like I definitely felt the whole time that I was really connected to the trail and I was really um, focused on on everything around me, like it was forcing, the trail forces you to live so presently. And I say that in, you know, we're always being told like, oh, you need to live presently and be really mindful and like, oh, you know, live in the now and all this kind of thing. And it's easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm really going to try and do that today. But also I'm thinking about yesterday and I'm thinking about tomorrow and I'm thinking about next week and all that kind of thing. On the trail, you definitely, you're just forced all of the time to be like, where am I walking to today? Where am I going to get water? What am I going to eat? Um, you know, Hacker. Can I avoid bears and yeah, rattlesnakes? <laughs> exactly. All of that kind of thing. Um, so when I broke my phone and I started hiking totally disconnected from home and from, uh, I mean, not that there's a lot of like phone service out there, but you do run into what I would call internet cafes where you'd see a bunch of hikers like sitting on top of a mountain on their phones, eating a <laughs> snack and, <laughs> and, uh, and you, you know, you can check in with what's going back home. But yeah, I think, um, like I switched into a new sort of mental state when that happened. And I just was really aware of everything that was going on in my brain because I couldn't listen to music and I couldn't listen to podcasts and all that kind of thing. I totally just would get up and I'd start walking and I'd walk for 12 hours of the day with absolutely nothing. And so... Was that <laughs> yeah. Was that almost a, um, a paradox in its own? Was that kind of almost a debate in your head? Did you miss it? Uh, as well as having this newfound silence and yeah. I guess the freedom that came with totally it. Totally a paradox. I did miss it at first and I just was like, I would beg other people to like, if I was hiking nearby someone else, I'd be like, can you unplug your earphones and can we both listen to your music? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, it's funny sometimes like I would be surprised at, <laughs> yeah, just my brain. Sometimes I would be so deep in thought and I'd be going through so many things in my head and having some really like incredible revelations about life and self. And then other times I'd be walking along and I'd have one line from a song stuck in my head that would just repeat over and over all day. And I'm talking like happy birthday. I'd be walking <laughs> along with happy birthday stuck in my head. I'd be like, seriously, brain, this is all we can come up with. So yeah, I, I did miss having it at first and then oh, and I definitely missed being able to obviously like take photos and videos and that kind of thing of recording everything but then I definitely began to realize that um I think like it was it was actually a blessing in disguise having <clears throat> having been forced to switch off from that because I realized that so often I was gratifying all of the experiences I was having out there by sharing them. Um, and I'm not necessarily talking on social media. Like it wasn't always that I was sharing with everyone and, you know, um, 
whatever. But even if it was just, um, you know, messaging my my mum and my sister and that kind of thing, being like, guys, I've just had the most incredible day. Look at all this stuff that I've seen. And, oh, and this was totally unexpected. And then this happened and this happened. I would, I had some of the best days of my life and I was the only one that got to experience them. I didn't have any way of sharing that with anyone. I just would stop, breathe it all in, try and capture as much that I could to to sort of retain for myself. And uh, and I'd keep moving on and be like, just this big smile on my face, like, how good's that? Like, just, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was hard, definitely without having that, but also I needed it. And I think probably it happened for a reason because I did need it. Yeah. It's another experience of that really being with yourself really learning to be alone if that was part of the absolutely yeah the uh, the intention of it um yeah I actually got goosebumps when you were talking about <laughs> like just having having these moments that are great and you can just be there that's yeah. presence that's yeah. and it doesn't have to be anything and and it might be also a crap moment very closely aligned with a, an amazing one yeah absolutely they, they can come together yeah you've talked a little bit about walking with other hikers how did how did that experience go? Because obviously you were a solo walker. There are other people on mm-hmm. the trail. People I imagine are just doing sections of the trail and then others doing the whole lot. Yeah. How did you, how was that experience, I guess, coming in and out of groups? Were there moments where that was incredible and other moments where you went, I'm ready to divorce myself from this group for a little period of yeah, time? Yeah, definitely. I'm really interested in in that experience. Yeah, bit of both in that respect. Um on a whole, I would say that the people that I met on the trail made the experience. And I think one day I'll look back on this journey and I won't even remember any of the walking. All I'll remember is the times that I shared with these people that I met. Um, you're so lucky out there to be surrounded by people who for for the most part, are so like-minded and from all walks of life. You just have, like, just the most amazing experiences with people that you never would have had the opportunity to meet. People from Israel, people from all over Europe, people from Asia and America and all, all these different places and you just, I just feel so lucky that I got to meet some of these people who... Maybe I'll never see again, but maybe I will, and and that's the beauty of it. You don't ever know, but you just you share some of the most incredible days of your life with these people, and you share some of the hardest. And I think, yeah, you you just get a bit of everything with people. And so, yeah, there were definitely times um, where I was absolutely loving being part of a group. I mean, during the day, I would be walking alone. It was very rare that I'd be like walking heel to heel, you know, with someone else. Um, that would happen occasionally and that's where some of the best conversations happen. But for the most part, walking alone and then meeting up with your group for for breaks and, and camping and, and staying in towns and that kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, again, the benefit of being on your own is that if you get to a point where you're not really feeling the dynamic of the group anymore, you totally have the option to, to break off at any point. You can slow down, you can speed up, you can get to a town and stay an extra day. Um yeah, fortunately that didn't happen too much, but definitely towards the end of the trail when, um, as you said, like some people are just out there to hike sections or by, by the end of it as well, you start to experience like a lot of people have 
given up. I shouldn't say given up. They've come to the end of their journey, which I think is a really important way to look at it because I think knowing when you've come to the end, if it's before the Canadian border, that's a huge thing to... I'm getting off topic here, but that is like such a huge um, thing to realise and know that you might be less than 100 miles away from the end and being like, you know what, this is it for me and I've come as far as I need to go and I'm and I've come as far as I feel safe and and I'm going to call it and I'm going to leave it here. And so towards the end, you really start to notice that there's not that many people out there anymore, particularly for me because I was um, finishing kind of late in the season. There were still plenty of people after me, but um, I definitely started to see the weather that people talk about in Washington that you want to try and avoid. <laughs> and, uh, and I am so grateful for the people that I was hiking with at that point and the way that we looked after each other during some of those really hard times and some of those really dangerous times as well, like I'm talking, um, you know, walking for three and a half days straight through rain and snow, being completely wet from head to toe, um, just looking after each other. I broke my water filter before I finished hiking and I had no opportunity to get a new one. So it was like, sometimes I'm drinking unfiltered water, sometimes I'm, you know, people are filtering water for me and just doing things like that. And, you know, if if you're in a group of one thing as well, if you're in a group scenario, like people really do look out for each other. If one person's hungry, you're all hungry. It's There's so much sharing that goes on. Like people literally will give the shirt off their back if you need it. I gave a shirt off my back to someone when they needed it. Like it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot to be said about the people that you meet out there and, and the opportunity that, that you have to share that experience with others. Yeah. I was sharing with you before, um, there's a fellow a poet, David White, who talks a lot about pilgrimages. And one of the things he talks about going on a pilgrim actually requires you to ask for help because you are reliant on the mm. people around you. You're reliant on the, the group that you're a part of. You, you break your water filter. Mm. You have to get that support yeah. to ask for help. How did you find that process? Because that's really hard for a lot of people. I'm really happy to help someone else, yeah. but to actually realise that I'm vulnerable, I'm at risk, I'm unsafe here, yeah. and I'm reliant on your help. Yeah. How did you find that? I found that incredibly hard. And I look back at one day in particular that I had um, in the Sierras where I really realised how much I struggle to ask for help. And, uh, yeah, I'd been... It's making me a bit emotional talking about it. Um, I'd been struggling with the altitude um, for a couple of days and really not well. I couldn't eat properly. I couldn't drink properly. I was starting to get the sensation that the landscape around me was moving, which is a very... um, yeah, bit of a dangerous it's an indication sign. That yeah. and, uh, right. Oh man, I was in probably the most beautiful place that I'd ever been in my whole life, and I was struggling to enjoy it because basically every mile I had to lie down. I just had to be horizontal. I could not stand being upright. It made me feel so nauseous and disgusting. And um, and I'd been hiking for a little while with a beautiful group of people, and. Um, we had a lot of fun together. They were the they were the fun group that I hiked with. Um, 
we got a bit of a reputation on trail as like the people that had too much fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was a real like awakening for me. I was sitting on a rock, like hugging my drink bottle backpack on the ground next to me, just totally didn't know what to do with myself. I was just was feeling so disgusting. And, and one of the guys that I was hiking with found me like that. He said that he had uh, he'd been behind me enjoying himself slowly coming down this mountain pass, like having a good time swimming in lakes and all that kind of thing. And he kind of had a sensation that he needed to push on. He kind of left the, the rest of the group and said, I'm going to keep walking. Uh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I should keep going. And it was, yeah, this weird experience where he sort of found me at my lowest point and, uh, and I just was being a stubborn little bitch. I just was like, I'm fine. I don't need your help. I've drunk plenty of water today. I'm all good. And yeah, I was not all good at all. Um, I, uh, yeah, eventually we met up with the the rest of the group as well and set up camp for the night. And I, yeah, they had to set my tent up for me. They had to force me to drink water, had to force me to cook dinner for myself and, and get into bed. And I just was so upset the next day because I just felt so bad. I was like, why is this so hard? Like, I just, I was like, I just felt like a bitch. I was like, you know, they wanted to help me. They could see that I needed help and I just couldn't humble down enough to accept it. Um, but I definitely, um, the beautiful thing about accepting help is that you always in life are given the chance to pay that back. And so, yeah, I'm like, that was a really vulnerable point for me. But also later on down the track, I definitely had the opportunity where I could return that favour to other people and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, and, and then the next time I was in a situation where I needed help, I was like, okay, you've done this before. Just, just ask for it. Like you'll get a chance to to redeem yourself later on. Um, and definitely I experienced that when I broke my phone because when I broke my phone, I also had no maps and no water report. So I was relying on other people a lot to make sure that I didn't completely go off trail and walk somewhere else that wasn't Canada. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely at that point was relying on people a lot. And that was, that was so hard for me. And, um, yeah, it's hard not to get caught up in the fact that you're just, yeah, relying on other people. But then you're like, yeah, I think one of the things that I realised out there, one of the many things that I realised is that life is about relying on people and then being able to be relied on. And it's just that balance all the time of give and take in just, yeah, everything that we do is, is about that. So, And I love it. It's almost now you've probably got the empathy that if you do want to help someone and they're just being stubborn and saying, no, <laughs> you know what it's like. Yeah, fully. You know where that's coming from. Sit down, shut true. up. That's right. I am <laughs> you, you're, getting you. help, you're getting the help, yeah. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. What did you crave out there? Vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Eat your vegetables, people. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah, I missed, I missed, um, yeah, vegetables, fresh. What did you mostly eat? Food. Like, what oh, it was disgusting. I I love healthy food. Like, I genuinely love to eat well. That's a great joy in my life, eating well. And uh, yeah, I was eating um, 
peanut butter by the spoonful, Nutella out of the jar. I was eating, well, okay, so a typical day, I guess, I mean, it would vary depending on what you could get your hands on because sometimes you could do a resupply at a really well-stocked supermarket. Other times it was a gas station and you're just like, okay, it looks like I'm eating Snickers 12 times a day for the next three days. Um, so breakfast in the morning, I'd either do a little packet of oatmeal ripped open with some cold water squeezed into it while I'm still lying down in my sleeping bag. Or if I was feeling a bit luxe, I'd do like an English muffin or a bagel with some <laughs> peanut butter. And and uh, I'd, I'd try and pack out bananas and that kind of thing, which would last maybe like a couple of days before they get totally smushed up in your bag. Um, and then, yeah, just you can't, you just have to snack all the way throughout the day. So eating lots of bars, lots of like muesli bars and cliff bars and snicker bars and anything like that. Um, I always had pocket snacks, which is basically just, I'd fill all of my pockets with like nuts and gummy bears and things like that. So that while I'm walking, oh, if you're hiking up switchbacks on a mountain, it's like every time you complete a switchback, you're allowed to it's eat like a gummy a bear. It's like, yeah, it's a treat system. <laughs> um, yeah. Lots of tuna, tortillas, avocado, cheese. Cheese is like, wow, that's blown my mind. Cheese must actually be so disgusting for us because I definitely was eating cheese that was, had been unrefrigerated for a good seven days in really hot weather. So, yeah. And then dinner time's just like these disgusting packets of powdered mashed potato. And I would cold soak lentils. That was something that like throughout the day, I'd have a little jar of lentils where I'd, I'd be soaking them. And yeah, or like the American equivalent of like continental side dishes, you know, cheesy pasta things and yeah cookies, all of the good stuff. <laughs> Did you, um, what was your first meal when you could go and choose what you had when, once you'd finished? Oh, I would, while I was walking and I knew that there was a town coming up, I would dream all day about the things I was going to eat and drink. I would think about beverages so much. I'd be like, okay, first I'm going to have a blue Gatorade and then I might have a red Gatorade and then I think I'll have a kombucha and then I'm going to yeah, I might have another Gatorade after that. And then I get into town and I'd just be like, one beer, please. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, you, you'd think so much about food and what you wanted to eat when you got to town next because you truly would, like, be craving something. But the, I guess, hard thing is is that a lot of the times the little towns that you're hitchhiking into or that you pass through um, are very, very minimal. So it might be that there's just a convenience store that has a little grill attached to it and so your option is a burger or pancakes or an omelette. It's like, okay, well, I'm not going to get that big plate of broccoli that I was dreaming of. So I'd just take what I could get. And yeah, you're just really trying to push calories into your body and yeah, eat as much as you can. It's fun <laughs> actually to eat that much <laughs> without feeling thinking. guilty. Yeah. yeah um, but yeah, I never really got to eat the foods I was craving until I got back to Australia and could, yeah be at home and cook for myself again, which was so nice. <laughs> You've described the the first day on the trail. Can you talk me through the last day on the trail? What was that like? What was that? Oh, what, were going, what was going through your mind? The last day on the trail was uh, an eleven mile day for me. So I camped the night before, eleven miles from the Canadian border, uh, in the rain and the snow, and though those last eleven miles were not easy. They were, yeah, it was freezing cold. I was wet. Um, I was, I just remember shivering all day. Um, 
one of the people that I was hiking with was really, really struggling at that point with her feet. We believe that she had a broken foot and she was hiking in sandals through the snow. Um, and so, yeah, just taking it slow that last day so that she could stay with us and, and, and make it to the border with us. So yeah, when all you want to do is just like run to the end and just get warm, um, we sort of, yeah, took, took it slow so that we could move as a team. And, uh, it, it was, so surreal. And it's so weird. Um, You think about that day every single day for the entire time that you're walking. Like every single day you, you kind of wake up or at some point during the day you imagine yourself crossing into Canada and what that's going to feel like and getting your little moment with the monument and that kind of thing. And and even before that, I think for the six months that I was planning this trip before I actually left, I think probably every day for what, like 11 months I was imagining that day. And and I've never experienced that before. Like, I don't know if there are other times in your life where you spend 11 months every single day imagining a particular day. Maybe people are like that when they're like engaged and they're imagining their wedding day or something like that. But I've never dealt with anything like that. So yeah, that last day, it was a very big mixture of being so ready to be done because of the awful weather and conditions that I'd been through for the last couple of weeks. Um, But then just being so overwhelmed with like, I don't ever want this to end. Can I get there and turn around and go backwards? Um, I, yeah, you just, you're going through so much. I had no idea what my life was going to look like after I came off the trail. And so you kind of almost, you're running towards that monument, but you're also like, so scared and just being like, uh, what does this mean? Like when I finish, I have to go and like figure out how to be a human in society again. And, uh, and I don't know if I'm ready for that. So yeah, it's totally mixed emotions. I was really ready to be done. I think a good word to describe it is relief. I was relieved to be finished. I was relieved that I'd accomplished it. I was relieved that we were all safe and alive and, and, and done. And yeah, I think yeah, you're just overwhelmed with this this big wash of emotion, but mostly relief. And it is huge when you say it's all consuming for 11 months. It's, it, it is this one day. Again, this David White, he has a phrase where he talks about the closer you get to a destination, the destination changes. So when you when it's far away, you can see it for what it is. But when it's right there, when it's eleven miles away, when mm. it's three miles away, all of a sudden it becomes something different. Now looking back, what's changed about that destination of getting to that last day? I don't know if it's changed for me that much. I mean, like definitely that day I never could have, in all the times I was thinking about it, I never could have imagined actually what it would feel like to uh, to to be done. But I think that I'm actually still at a point processing what I did and what I achieved and that kind of thing. And because, like, even though I was imagining it so much, a big part of me was like, you're realistic, really probably not going to get there. You know, that, like, I think... I think it's less than a quarter of people that start out doing the hike will actually finish it. So statistically speaking, the odds are against you before you even step out on the trail. And so, yeah, I never could have imagined what it was like. And then getting there was just this total like 
holy shit, what have I just done? And then just being totally elated and sad at the same time and that kind of thing. And so now even when I think about that day, I'm still just like, what even was that? Like it just is, it feels like a dream. I still am comprehending it all still. And I've been, yeah, that was the 8th of October that I crossed over the border and I still am just like, what was that? What was that day? I just, yeah. Did I dream that? I don't know <laughs> if that actually existed. Yeah. Because the grass is still green the next day, right? Like the sky is still blue. It's like the world has fundamentally yeah. shifted and yet it is a massive achievement yeah. to, to get to the end of, especially when you start to look at some of those statistics. I want to dive into a little bit of re-entry and, and I know you're kind of still processing and, and yep. looking at that. <laughs> I've probably got two questions for you. Uh, what are the small things that you learnt on the trail that you want to maintain, that you want to keep? And then what are the big things that yeah. have kind of stuck with you? So is there any kind of small things, day-to-day habits or eating more broccoli or yeah, <laughs> whatever it is? I what are the, the small, small things? things I, I've just really come to realise that like um, – and I guess the small things still sort of seem like a big thing, but um, like now that I know what my body physically is capable of, I'm just like, wow, it is so important to me that I maintain that. I'm like, we're given this one body and like all I want to do with it now is just adventure and do things, literally anything. I just want to do stuff. And so I'm like, uh, yeah, since I've finished hiking, I feel like I can't stop moving. I'm often like walking or running in the morning and then again at night time. And I'm just constantly, I can't stop my legs from going. Even if I sit down too long, I get up and I can't walk properly because my knees lock up still. Um, so yeah, definitely like just this new, like I don't see, um, exercise and fitness and that kind of thing so much as like, like I have always enjoyed it, but then some days it definitely feels like a chore. Right now it feels like something that's just so enjoyable and so important to um, foster future endeavours and adventures and that kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's, I just feel like my body is such a gift and I'm so like impressed with what I could do with it and I'm excited to see what else I can do with it moving forward. So definitely that's like a small thing. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where to draw the line between the small things that I've learned and the big things that I've learned. Just put them all in one bucket. Put it all in one bucket. <laughs> I think um, like something definitely that I noticed on the trail is um, how incredibly supportive and encouraging Americans can be. And I know that sounds like a strange thing to say, but I think something that I've really realised is how badly we have tall poppy syndrome here in Australia. And I know that like we have a bit of a reputation for that anyway. And I, I have a few theories as to where that comes from. I know that we all want to work hard for ourselves so that we can play hard. And I think, you know, we see other people achieving something great for themselves and we are envious and we want that for ourselves. So it's just, we've got this thing in us where we want to pull them down. But I truly in those five months, I only experienced from people who knew a lot about the trail or people who had never heard of the trail before, I only experienced overwhelming support, enthusiasm and encouragement. People just want to see you do well and they get such a joy out of that. And it's really put into perspective for me the sort of person that I want to be in my day-to-day life and the way that I want to behave in group scenarios and the sort of 
standard that I want to set in conversation in terms of like, if I'm sitting around with my friends and we're talking about someone else, I want to be shouting their praises and being like, yeah, good for them that that's what they're doing. It might not be what we all want for ourselves, but it's obviously what they want. And if it comes from a good place, then like, hell yeah, go them. Like, I don't want to be that person that joins in with the the picking and the, and the, that kind of thing. Like it's, I, that was a lesson that I never saw coming, but yeah, it's totally changed my perspective on like supporting other people. I just received so much generosity in, in words and, and in actions from other people while I was out there. And I'm like, I just need to be more like that myself. It just, it was so special to me to, to receive that support. And yeah, I want to, I want to give back as well. I want to set that new standard and, yeah, um, oh, other things that I learned. There's just so much. I am so – I've always um, – well, not always, but I've known for a long time that in life less is more and I've definitely tried to over the last few years really scale back what I think that I need in life and what I own, my physical possessions, um, but living with the absolute bare minimum of, of nothing for six months has really nailed into me what it is that I actually need. Um, I lived with one of everything for six months, but I could live with what was in my backpack for six years or six decades if I needed to and just replace those individual items as they wear out. And so that's really been a big thing for me as well that it's so satisfying to know that we just actually don't need anything. Um, and yeah, there's, yeah, I could go on for hours, but I don't think that that'll turn into a very different podcast. <laughs> we might podcast. need to catch up again. Yeah. <laughs> we might need to catch up again. Yeah. What did you learn about spending time on your own, being alone? Yeah, that was, um, I was so, because it was kind of, a, a lot of people set out on, doing a long distance hike like that with a real why, like that a lot of people have a real sense of like, this is why I want to do this. Um, and, and I definitely had mine. I was like, I need to learn how to sp- spend time alone. And I was worried the whole time that I wasn't learning that because I was enjoying being around people so much while I was out there. And I made these beautiful friendships and I, and I had some beautiful relationships with people while I was out there. And, and it didn't feel like I was spending that much time alone. To be honest, I spent, I think, only four nights the whole time actually camping alone by myself. Um, so I was really worried the whole time that I was like, you're enjoying everyone too much. This is so typical of you. You just like, you're having too much fun with all these people. And, and I was really worried that by the time I got to the end that I wouldn't have, I I knew that I had learned many other lessons along the way, but I was really worried that I hadn't achieved the one thing that I friggin' set out there to actually achieve. And so I was putting a lot of like pressure on myself. I was like, come on, like, get into it. Like, you know, be more struggle. Separate. Yeah. (laughs) Distance yourself. Um, and it wasn't until I actually came back home to Australia and I've been on my own. I have realized how far I've come. I feel so comfortable in my own company. And I'm like, okay, wow. Tick. I, I I think I figured that out. I mean, obviously it's still going to be a journey and I'm sure I'll come across times where I just absolutely hate being on my own, but I have surprised myself so much as to how 
how different I'm reacting to scenarios when I am on my own. Um, just, yeah, in the past situations where I would just totally be like anxious and not okay. I'm like, no, this is chill. This is fine. And, and I'm actually beyond that. I'm actually enjoying it. So I'm like, whoa, who am I? Like, I don't want to hang out with you right now. No, that's cool. It's like, it's just totally weird. It's like, I feel like I don't even, I almost don't even recognize myself before the trail. I'm just like, how was I so incapable? Like, yeah, to, to realize, to look back at how I was in the probably like six to 12 months before I went hiking to see where I'm at now. I'm just like, whoa, good for you, man. Like, yeah, I've come a long way. That's progress. That's <laughs> yeah. huge. That's huge. And we were saying, even before we jumped on mic, that it's almost like, um, I feel like it's almost like an innate human yearning just at times to just put a stop to the noise, put a stop to the pressures, stop to the expectations, whether it's with a backpack or mm. wherever. It doesn't have to be a hiking trail, but just something where you can just go, it's going to be responsible for no one, just other yeah. than myself. And and at some point, and there might be people listening that go, hell no, that's the last thing I yeah. want to do. But I do think at some point in our own development, of there's, there is this yearning to go, could I be comfortable with me? Where would my brain go? Where would the thoughts go? What would turn up and mm. how would I face that? And it would, would that kind of be okay. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think for me, you know, hearing hearing your story, I think there's there's something really encouraging. It doesn't have to be six months if you've got six months to it, but it might just be six weeks. It might be six days. Mm. It might be three days going for a hike. Yeah. Um, that, that could be really powerful as Absolutely. you as you kind of tune into it. Do you have an inkling of what's next? Because I have a feeling that there's probably a, a what's next. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, yeah, it's given me a take. I've always been like a very happy person and I always f- have felt like I've made choices in my life that, you know, put fun first. Like I have always done that, but I kind of have this sense now of like a new level of what fun and experience can be like. And I think that I'm almost in a way a little bit cursed now that like life is going to be a chase. I've discovered this new feeling of of adventure and and truly what amazing things can come from putting yourself out of your comfort zone and putting yourself way out there. And yes, I think that now that that chase is going to keep leading me on on more trips like this. Also, just um, I've realised that traveling by foot is like the best way to travel for me anyway, not for everyone, but this is how I like to see places. And, uh, yeah, so I definitely have a few other hikes in mind that I'd like to go and check out. Um, yeah, I think the struggle now is that like anything less than what I've just done might not feel like enough. Um, so yeah, time-wise that might be difficult in the future, <laughs> um, constantly trying to find six months to, to get away. But, um, yeah, I think now that I know that feeling of just totally, oh, it's just this, like, overwhelming, like, buzz in, in your stomach that's just, like, that feeling like you're about to go over the, the scary part of the roller coaster. It's, like, that is that's the compass now and wherever that's pointing is like what you you kind of have to run towards it's like yeah it's like this new awareness of 
of like a next level of, I think they call it type two fun. It's like the, the kind of fun that like is scary and exciting at the same time and doesn't appeal to a lot of people. But yeah, I've got a taste for it now and I'm going to be seeking that out for sure. Have you found your, <clears throat> since coming back, your tolerance for stuff that's just beige and average, has that, um, like are you less tolerant of that? Or like are you kind of craving even just in the everyday kind of life of... People complaining about the weather, or you know, you know, sort it's of kind of the things. opposite. My tolerance for that's actually increased. I, yeah, I'm finding it really hard to get phased by stuff. Since I've been back, I have been um, at first completely unemployed and just being like, you know what, um, kind of broke that was to be expected, but I'm okay with it. And then going into work that I don't love, but it's a means to an end right now. Um, I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with that as well. And I go to work and I hear people complain about the most trivial things. And I'm like, I'm just, I don't know. It's like this like ultra chill level of mentality where I'm just like, everything that I've run into in life off the trail so far has just been like it doesn't even reach a point where it can bother me, I think, because I've just had to deal with stuff that's just like so extreme either mentally or physically. I'm just like, nah, like I can't really, yeah, things, I'm just more tolerant in general. I'm just like, you know, and and also just not letting um, the mundane things get you down and, and other people getting, seeing other people get worked up over things that just to me seem so trivial. I'm just like, kind of makes you feel better in yourself that those sort of things aren't bothering you. And like, not that I want to sound in any way, like, like I, you know, am superior in any way in that sense, but I've just come to find a bit of a, a, a peace of mind where I'm just like, I know what's worth worrying about and I haven't really come across anything yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. And and then that compass of what's adventure and what's next and what's possible. Yeah. As you say, that's that's kind of being readjusted and and I imagine that's that's on your radar. Yeah, absolutely. I want to come full circle. because um, it really is an incredible adventure that you've been that you've done and come out and uh, thank you for sharing the lessons that you've learned along the way. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what comes up for you or what comes to mind around how you would describe a standout life? Oh, wow. I think that a standout life to me is just a life that's being lived to its full potential. I just, yeah, I have a new sense of, um, for me personally, just that probably almost anything's possible. And I think that a standout life is if I see someone who is challenging themselves and, and really putting themselves to the test, I'm like, yes, that is, that's the whole point. Like finding that thing that pushes you outside your comfort zone and really makes you realize what you're capable of. That's a standout life. And then to the other 
side of, of what that phrase sort of brings to mind is just a standout life is one where you're not putting yourself at the focus of it all. Like I've just seriously, like that's, that could be a whole nother thing to talk about is just like the extreme generosity of, of people that I've come across in the last six months and the kindness that people have showed me. It's just a standout life is one where you are thinking about other people and you're supporting the people around you and and just embracing whatever sense of community you can have in in the space that you occupy and yeah i think yeah there's there's many facets to that but i think a standout life is just one where you're just going for it that's yeah we we're we're so lucky to have the opportunities that we have and i think yeah you just got to grab it and go for it. <laughs> I love it. Thank yeah. you so much, Kirsten. It's been a, Thank you, an Ellie. absolute delight chatting with you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.